0: Gorbachev,
1: tear down this. Welcome back to the Cold War, episode 110, Papa Bear. And as I'm sure you will recall at the end of our last episode, 109, uh, Mm -hmm. the French uh, seized a Chinese junk in Haiphong Harbour up in the north of Vietnam that was carrying gasoline Vietnam Vietnamese uh, fired on the French. The French fired back. Broke out into uh, a struggle for Haiphong. The French bombed the Vietnamese and Chinese quarters of the city. Uh, aerial bombardment. Sh- spitfires shooting down civilians trying to flee. It was all out—an uh, all-out conflict. No, no minor clashes, skirmishes anymore. Right. We are now. In a full-on conflict between the French and the Vietnamese, it's November nineteen forty-six. Yeah, the World French- War Two has been over. Yeah, for a year and not even a year and a half.
0: Right, right. And the French finally have the excuse they were looking for, or at least some of the French, like DeArgelou, um and, and the general. Um but the point is they have their excuse. Uh they can say, you know, rightly so, and you know, if you if you look at it um specifically that the Vietnamese fired first, so they have their reason and now they can just finally let it all out, go after these guys and try to take the entire country.
1: You know, I'm sure this is like the, the attack on the Lusitania or the Gulf of Tonkin incident mm-hmm. where it was spun by the French back home as, oh, we were doing nothing. <laughs> just uh, sitting there. Our guys were just sitting there fishing, yeah. <laughs> enjoy, you know, smoking a, 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 a cigarette. Oh, a rolled-up uh, cigarette, um, yeah. enjoy, enjoying, the, enjoying the sky. Yeah. Uh, and the Vietnamese just shot us out of nowhere. For nothing. They're motherfuckers. Right. We have to kill them all.
0: Because <laughs> yeah, um, that's the
1: way these things get spun, and it's oh, yeah, only yeah. decades later, usually, that we find out what really happened. Yeah. Now, uh, all of this uh, got the attention of the Americans. The US consul in Hanoi sent a telegram to the White House reporting that even though the Vietnamese fired first, the French had provoked them yeah. by taking the port through force. Now, the U.S. ambassador in France was instructed to express American unhappiness right. to the government in Paris, but the French responded by saying they had proof that Ho was taking orders from Moscow. Mm. So, yeah. you know, how, how much do you believe the
0: French, Ray? Uh, right. I I don't, because as we're going to see in this episode and the next episode, they're going to get some other stuff wrong. But yeah, so the Americans can say we are displeased, but at the same time, because as we're going to see later on, that everybody's got suspicions, in the, not everybody, but a lot of people in Washington have suspicions that, you know, Ho is a communist, he's trying to turn the country communist, and so even though they're kind of slapping the hand of the French, it's not a hard slap because, again, they are doing God's work, they are, you know, checking uh, the spread of communism. But, so yeah, you're right, because the, the French say, look, we have got proof positive that Ho is not only getting advice, but he is taking instructions from Moscow. So, when you have something like that with all the tension that's going on between washington and, and moscow how how mad really can the Americans be at the french
1: and they French said and, and also Saddam Hussein has w m d
0: absolute proof absolutely yeah um
1: uh, well as we'll see as we go on this was absolute bullshit either way whether they believed it or it was right. complete fake news um Moscow had nothing to do with Ho Chi Minh at the right. time. They had enough problems.
0: They were reading the anyway, newspapers. Anyway,
1: the U.S. consul in Saigon, Charles Reed, uh, warned back to Washington that if right. Cochin China fell to the Viet Minh, they would then unleash a propaganda and a terrorist campaign in Cambodia and Laos. Ugh. And this was the very first time that an American official talked about what would become known as the domino theory.
0: Mm. Now, here we are talking about Ho barely having enough weapons, and he's afraid to take on the French. He's afraid of what's going to happen. And now, supposedly, supposedly they're going to spread their views and, and start trouble in two other countries. I mean, that just that had to be based on fear, apprehension, or emotion because it makes no logical sense. They're barely hanging on, and right for right now they're getting their ass kicked by the French. How could they possibly cause trouble in other countries?
1: Yeah, exactly. And you know, I mean they're accusing you know, Charles Reed is suggesting that Ho's gonna launch a terrorist campaign in Cambodia and Laos. Now if we know anything about Ho Chi Minh, right. the uh, Confucian scholar... The warlord. no, He's not your terrorist campaign
0: <laughs> <Right>. guy. <laughs> That's not his milieu. Yeah, yeah. Uh,
1: yeah, look, don't get me wrong. Um, <laughs> if, if he has to fight a war for the independence of his people to kick out yeah. imperialists, yeah. he's going to do whatever it takes, as we're going to see. He doesn't fuck around, Ho.
0: But it Um, it takes him a while to get warmed up to that point.
1: But he's hardly your, uh, you know, uh, uh, terrorist campaign fanatic. Exactly. So fuck Charles Reed and his domino theory. Uh, You know, and and look, the domino theory is an interesting thing. Like, part of my brain goes, well, hold on a second. If the people of Cambodia and Laos uh, want communism, who are you to deny them that? What Right. Right. Does America have to tell the people of these countries? It's like, oh, we believe in freedom of freedom and independence. Unless you choose the wrong form of government, (laughs) in which case, no, we're going to come down on you. In which case, we're going to to stop you. On the other hand, I mean, if you genuinely believed that uh, Ho was going to export terrorism to these countries and go in and slaughter millions of people, then okay, then maybe you would be justified in trying to stop that. But the United Nations exists at this point, and that should be the role of the United Nations, mm. not the United States, etc., as so Venezuela much. right now should be the role of the United Nations. And right. If there's intervention is required, then it's not the job of America to intervene. It's the job of the United Nations, as it would have been then. But again, based on everything that we know about Ho, I mean, here you have Ho under threat from his own people because he's trying too hard to avoid <laughs> war. right. And you have this American consul say, oh, this guy,
0: if he wins, oh, it's going to be terrorist unleashed. Right. I don't know, man. If I could just add to that real quick. Let's say that um, Ho was an out-and-out communist and he screamed to the skies that I want to bring communism to to Vietnam. Compared to the last, what, 80 years – of the people's lives in Vietnam who have been pretty much squeezed out of anything valuable from the French, if a communist state did emerge and they did try to educate the people and try to feed the people and try to treat everybody basically as equal as they possibly can, yes, corruption exists everywhere, that would still be a hell of a lot better than what the two or three or four generations have gone through before them. So even that would have been an improvement for them, but again, in this current political climate... Everything red is bad, and it has to be stomped out. Yeah. Now, in late
1: November 46, the U.S. State Department sent a guy called Abbott Lowe (laughs) Moffat, ALM. Some... To he was the chief of the division of the Southeast Asian Affairs to into China, right? To assess the overall situation, he's on a fact-finding mission from the State Department. Mm-hmm. Now, this guy ALM was actually an outspoken supporter of uh, the cause for Vietnamese independence. As mm. I said in the last episode, right? Um, you know, even in Washington, there were people that were pro-Vietnamese independence. There were people that were pro-French colonialism. Um, people that wanted American interests to come first. Right. So just like in um, in Ho's own camp, there are a multiplicity of views, of course, that was also true in Washington. This guy was a big supporter. Wow. He was instructed, though, to assure Ho that while the US supported the agreement that Ho had developed with saint back in March, mm-hmm. that he should not use force he should accept a compromise agreement with the French in Cochin, China. Right. And that if he did those things, the French government would not try to restore complete colonial control over into China. Oh, shit. Now, I don't know on what authority uh, <laughs> right. ALM had to speak on behalf of the French government, seeing as he was uh, an American, Yeah. but that's what he was told to tell Ho. How well- did that go?
0: Yeah, I just have to say, uh, in regards to Moffat, for everything that he's telling Ho, uh, I think it's important to remember that the French aren't offering anything. I mean, they've taken coaching China. They've set up their own puppet leader. They're now attacking in the North. I mean, it's not like um Ho is, a, it's not like the, the American can say to him, look, you need to meet them halfway. The French aren't trying to meet them halfway. So I'm confused by his, um, by his message, his warnings, his admonitions. I mean, yeah, I, I get where he says, try not to use force, but the French are already using force. So I, I, obviously this is not very helpful to Ho. And we, we know how very hard Ho has worked, you know, establishing contact with the Americans over the years.
1: Yeah. Look, I think this is just, um, I think this is the Americans telling Ho, look, uh, Mm -hmm. you're going to lose, uh, if you use force. Uh, we don't want, uh, you know, it, we don't want to see you guys get your asses right. kicked. So try and work out a deal with them. I mean, if you put yourself in the, the, the shoes of the mm-hmm. Americans or the French in late 1946, you know, you've got to think that if the Vietnamese uh, go to war with France, they're going to get yeah. destroyed, absolutely destroyed. It's going to be mm-hmm. genocide, right? Um, and no one wants to see that. No reasonable person, no non-psychopath wants to see that happen. So, you know, I, I think if you know if I was there uh, advising Ho in late 1946, I'd be saying the same thing. Listen, look, try and right. do whatever you can to avoid this turning into a conflict because um, it's going to be a fucking bloodbath, and no one wants that. No one wants to see that.
0: That's true. But again, what Ho could come back with is, so basically what you're telling me, again, is to accept slavery over death. And we've been doing the slavery thing for a couple of decades now. We're a little tired of it. Maybe we're willing to die to avoid slavery. I mean, obviously he doesn't say that to American, but I could easily see that being his mentality, you know, in the back of his own head. Not not that I know what he yeah. thought, but, you know, come on, it's, this is our yeah. chance.
1: Yeah. No, no, I totally agree with you, and it's more than a couple of decades, by the way. I mean, the French mm. have been there for nearly a century. Before that, it was the Chinese. Oh, the Vietnamese sure. haven't had independence for centuries, right? And yeah, I, you know, I think his view is okay. Well, listen, if if a f- couple of million of us need to die, um, and, and it takes yeah takes twenty years, thirty years, in order for the people, uh, you know, our children, our grandchildren, our great grandchildren. Right. To be independent, to be free, then that's what it takes. You yeah. know, somebody needs to step up, and it's it is time, and and is not all, but I think as obviously the uh, great number of his countrymen agreed with him. Yeah, that this is this is what needs to happen again because it's freedom or death, you know, uh, independence or death. We don't want to be slaves and treated yeah. like
0: shit. We don't want
1: our children, our grandchildren, to be slaves and oppressed. Uh, We're we're done, as you said, yeah. So um, Moffat did meet with Ho in Hanoi. Um, Ho reported that he felt desperately alone. Hmm. He wasn't getting support from anyone not the Americans, not the Russians, not the Chinese. Right. Uh, well, he's getting some weapons, I guess, coming in from someone in China, but it's obviously not from the Kuomintang. But it, and it's not free either. Yeah, sure. It's, nothing's free, um, yeah. as uh, you found out when you went to that <laughs> brothel in Vegas, and you thought I thought you I were could just famous podcast, yeah. yeah, just rock no, up, no, yeah, nothing. No. nothing. Now Ho's also very, very ill at this point. He's suffering again from tuberculosis. Very, very sick. But again, he tried to assure the Americans that his main objective was independence, not <laughs> communism. Yeah. Uh, look, communism maybe one day, uh, but you know, we right now we just want our freedom. And again, he offered the Americans uh, the uh, the ability to build a naval base at uh, Camran Bay. Mm-hmm. Named after me, of course, in <laughs> Vietnam, big, big fans of mine <laughs> um, back then. Uh, Camran Bay he said you could build a base yeah. there, a naval base. Yeah. It's about 290 kilometers, 180 miles northeast of Saigon, um, up the coastline. Unfortunately, Moffat didn't have the authority to accept the offer. But anyway, he said, look, the US doesn't have any interest in a naval base in yeah. uh, Vietnam, quite frankly. Um, <clears throat> of course they did end up building a base at Camran bay in the mid-60s uh but then it was to fight ho not to support him so (laughs) it turns out they did want a base there but for (laughs) the wrong reasons
0: well not only that and we're talking early december here when these two gentlemen are talking but at the time i mean the united states and i'll put this as delicately as i can we own japan we we've taken it over we've got troops there Uh, there's a major you know port facilities right there in uh in the far east so yeah so maybe one day we could use this but as far as offering to this as a carrot i mean we're, we're doing we're doing okay now we pretty much have japan so this is not as tempting as ho has uh to offer but again that's pretty much all he's got and i just want to make the point for the uh for the empty time is that you know ho could say if the devil With all his horns, his long tail, his shiny red suit, came to me right now and said, I will offer you assistance. Ho would take it, because like you are saying, no one is offering him anything. He is alone. His country is alone. It is up to them. And like you said, if they're going to do this, it's going to take a long time, and they're going to lose a lot of people. But he has no other choice. There are no other options. Hmm.
1: So the conversation with Moffat ended with no real result. The yeah. United States again lost a chance to prevent war here. Not that it's necessarily their responsibility, but yeah. they could have stepped up and played a stronger role in mediating between the two, but they really. A half assing the whole thing.
0: Let me ask you this before we go. I'm sorry. Considering America's influence at the time and that we are giving France and a lot of other countries, you know, economic aid, whatever, that kind of stuff. And and we're obviously giving them our Jeeps and trucks and weapons so they can fight the, the Vietnamese. I mean, even just... Sending someone over from Washington who just sits there at the negotiating table, they don't even have to say anything just to have a representative of the United States there at the time and just watch these two people talk. They don't even do that. They just come over, they give some admonishments, some warnings, they talk to people, and then they leave again. You're absolutely right. They're not even trying and maybe they have different priorities i don't know but maybe they just see this as a french issue but they're not even going through the motions this visit that lasts for days is literally the equivalent of nothing the united states is not for whatever reason is not getting involved in this
1: yeah, not that the French and the Vietnamese are sitting in a negotiating right. table anyway. At this stage, it's well beyond that.
0: Well, right. but not they that were Ho's previously not trying. Yeah,
1: Ho's trying to get everyone back to the table, but the French just won't have it. Exactly. Now Moffat's report back to Washington stated that, in his view, the Hanoi government was, in fact, under the control of communists. Well, mm-hmm. yes. Yeah. Um, but he also said they were probably in regular contact with the Soviets and the Chinese, and that the. Right. Moderate and pragmatic views of Ho were being challenged by the hardliners like Xiaop and Trong Chin, who had this visual right. hatred of the French. Now, he did recommend that America should get involved in supporting a settlement between the Viet Minh and the French to try and limit Soviet influence uh, and also to protect Chinese influence, uh, protect against Chinese influence, mm-hmm. and other foreign observers at the time came to the same conclusion that you kind of had Ho, who was very moderate, right, and he was under threat from the hardliners that were trying to take over the party. But I don't know, man. I think Ho's playing good cop, bad cop. I right. think Ho invented good cop, bad cop. <laughs> I think he's like, <laughs> you, listen. I you, know, you say you, this. You do this. <laughs> no, he's like, listen. You gotta do. You gotta help me out here because if my if my partner comes in, yeah. oh, oh my partner, like he's screaming. crazy.
0: Yeah, he oh.
1: wants to kill you. He's going to come in here and beat you with a telephone book. <laughs> he's Vic Mackey, my partner. He's right. going to come in, pull the pull the security <laughs> camera out of the wall, and just start hammering oh, right, on right, you. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Listen, just tell <laughs> me where the bodies are. Right. I look like Dutch in, in the shield. Dutch is like, listen. You know, look. who hasn't wanted to rape a 12-year-old? I do it. I, I've got 12-year-old nieces. I look at them all the time and that's I'm like, oh, yeah. Look, I don't blame you. I want to do it as well. But listen, you know, you better do it before my partner comes here. Right. He might rape Claudia, because she's, she's yeah. crazy. She, she will fucking throw the book at you. I think that's what Ho's doing. Right. I think Ho is just as hard-line as any of these guys. Like, yes, he's trying to negotiate a peace, and he doesn't want to go to war because he's not insane. Right. But um, <laughs> I don't think these guys are the hardliners. I think uh, he say, "Oh, these hardliners—they're up my ass." Listen, help right. me do a deal Master before puppeteer. it's too late. Right?
0: Do- yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: absolutely. Fucking actor puppeteer, <laughs> and the award goes to yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He is Sir John Gilgood, man. He is playing <laughs> everybody. Um, 4D chess, man. No, no, I I do think he was was the leader of the hardliners as well as the leader of the moderates. He's like, listen, I'm going to go to every length I possibly can to avoid war, but if it comes down to it, I'm going to fucking go to town on these (laughs) French motherfuckers. Don't you
0: worry about it. But if I could go back to Moffat for a second, I mean, just like you said a second ago, he tells Washington, look, I think that there's direct contact between Ho and Moscow and probably the Chinese communists. From what we know, that is not based on anything. Is it hearsay? Is it what the French are whispering into his ears? And so it doesn't matter that he is coming across as the moderate because. The idea that he's linked to Moscow trumps everything. And with that kind of attitude, Moffat also tells Washington, you know what? I think considering that they're getting their cue from Moscow, I think we want some kind of French presence in Vietnam, because not only will it check the Soviet influence, it also might stop the Chinese invasion, if that is ever going to happen, if the communists win. So, and it's all based on hearsay. Hopefully the French are going to win, because we think there's a connection between Moscow and Ho. And as far as I can tell, there's absolutely no proof. But he's the guy on the ground, and that is what he is sending back to Truman. And so as far as the United States is concerned in the form of Moffat, it's best for the U.S. if there is some kind of settlement along French lines.
1: As far as we know, at this juncture, the only contact Ho is having with the Soviets is... Third party. It's right. coming via the French Communist Party, the FCP. Wow. Uh, he has no direct line of dialogue with the Soviets. Remember, you know, we talked about this in earlier episodes. Mm-hmm. The Soviets aren't really sure at this stage whether or not Ho's even really a communist or if he's in line with the Chinese nationalists. Right. Uh, whether or not he's a uh, really just a nationalist or a communist. They're not really sure where he's at and they're not really investing any effort in finding out either they're too busy just doing their own thing um you know trying to rebuild their country after being annihilated by the nazis and and they're trying to build a bomb to uh defend themselves against the americans should that go bad they're trying to
0: work out what's going on in germany etc etc but here's, here's one of the things that i find fascinating because Before, you know, we, we keep harping on the United States because they could do something. They're almost the only people that can. But the point is, we have to remember that this situation in Vietnam is not in a vacuum. It's not just by itself. Because there is the civil war in China. And what if the communists win there? And what if Ho is a communist? Could the communists suddenly take two countries and then spread their views even further. So I think there was just a general fear of a red rising. And the fact that you have these two countries that are touching each other that may potentially go communist was making Washington very nervous and more likely to support the French, even though they're cocking it up completely and hundreds of civilians are being killed.
1: But again, I mean, what's it got to do with America if these countries go communist and other countries go communist? Why is it any of America's business?
0: I completely agree, but considering the tension between Truman and Stalin, um, pro- Stalin probably has a certain view of any communist because of his dealings, his very frustrating dealings with Stalin. I completely agree with you, but I'm, I'm guessing his dealings with Moscow was affecting his view of everything else in the world.
1: Mm. Well... As we've seen, uh, I guess, in earlier episodes, at this stage in late 1946, American domestic politics is being dominated by the Red Scare. Uh, You have to be seen to be tough on communism. The Republicans are are attacking Truman and the Democratic Party is being too soft. They said FDR was too soft on Stalin. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, Truman's being accused of potentially being soft on Stalin, so he has to look like he's tough Uh, tough. yeah. How tough are you? I'm a um Lumberjack. Cub. So I don't know. Moffat's comments about the communist influence in Vietnam really got attention. But in the wrong way. Moffat was a supporter, as I said right. earlier, of Vietnamese independence. But his remarks about them being connected to the Soviets and the Chinese communists ended up being used as the basis for American support for the re-establishment of French colonial control in the area. And he regretted that. Uh, He felt like he fucked up, and he did fuck up by Mm -hmm. saying that. A, he was wrong, and B, his incorrect statements were used to justify decades of American oppression of the Vietnamese, French and then American oppression. Moffat himself was uh, actually cognizant of the fact that this fear of communism was leading American policy away from supporting the national aspirations of independence in the people of places like Vietnam. Right. But um, he fucked up. Seems like he was a good guy, but he fucked up and um, played a a role in... Yeah this all going extremely pear-shaped.
0: Well, I think the historical forces at play were just much larger than him, much larger than almost probably anybody else. And so he can write whatever he wants, but it's, I think it's going to be viewed through a certain lens that is the fear of the Red Menace. And so I think it's already started. And so the fact that he was, you know, on the side of the Viet Minh is irrelevant. Washington is going to twist his words into, you know, into their own reality.
1: Meanwhile, diaz jean is in uh, France, Dargy, in November, as I said <laughs> earlier, trying to get approval right. for a pre- – I don't know why that's funny – to get a preemptive emptive uh, campaign uh, against the Viet Minh. Mm-hmm. But there had been another election in France, and oh, this yeah. time the socialists had won again. Mm-hmm. Bidot is on his way out, and the, uh, the MRP – He's on his way out, but he did meet D.R. Jean and warned him that while he was sure he would get reinforcements, Indochina could not be preserved by force alone. Right. They had to negotiate. Now, Paris then appointed Jean Santoni as the governor of Indochina to replace General Uh, Molière. Santoni was the guy that was. Quite friendly with Ho. Mm-hmm. He's the guy that chaperoned Ho's trip to France. Took him out fishing. Uh, right. Took him to his sister's uh, house for lunch. You know, hung out with him for several weeks. So they're sending him back there uh, as the um, as the, the 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 governor. Hopefully, I guess the, the socialists are hoping that he's going to help sort out. This, this sort of clusterfuck of uh, a situation. He yep. left for Koshin China on November 23rd, just a few hours after the Haiphong incident where they seized the junk. So by the time he gets there on December 2nd, uh, the place has erupted in yeah. violence. He's got instructions from Daji advising him not to move into the palace too quickly in Hanoi where he ends up because it might be seen as a provocation by the Viet Minh. And he also advised him not to go too far in forcing Ho and his government to take desperate measures. But I think it was too late.
0: Yeah, I mean he has he has this order from Paris, not you know, try try not to let the war go on. Let's see what we can do. But I mean, you know, like I said, forces of history are certainly against him. And D'Angelo's uh, attitude was mirrored by Valouis, who wanted Santini to strengthen the moderates within the government. And, and I just wanted to ask you for a second. So this guy who is, um, who is um, what um, given plenipotentiary powers, is supposed to go into this country and tell Ho to change his government to better suit the needs of France, and this is somehow supposed to work. He's supposed to go in there, try to strengthen the moderates within the Viet Minh, uh, create the, an atmosphere for talks um and i just again we were harping on this on the last episode the the arrogance of the french were supposed to go in there and we don't want to crush them well some of us want to crush them but we will crush you if we have to but if you just change everything about yourself to suit us then we can all get along just just the arrogance that the french are coming with i i just don't see how this could have turned out any other way than 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 a clash of arms
1: yeah i mean the only hope that there was at the time is that there would be a new French government that would back down mm-hmm. and be willing to give up Indochina to, to do the right thing, yeah. basically. But, um, yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's like – like it would be like asking the Americans to do the right thing now in Venezuela. <laughs> I mean, it's just – it's not going to happen. Yeah. I mean, the, the wheels are too far in motion. It can't be stopped. Right. So meanwhile, the French were landing troops in Da Nang Harbour. Da Nang is about, again, halfway up the Vietnamese coastline. Right. Um, And now this, again, was a direct contradiction of the modus vivendi and the ho Sonteny Treaty between the two countries. Now, this raised suspicions that the French were planning a surprise attack. But then Ho heard about the change of government in Paris and decided to wait to see what would happen. Sonteny and Ho met, but as the new French government hadn't been formed yet, remember last time when Ho was trying to negotiate with the French, he went to Paris and there was no government. (laughs) That was only like six months earlier. (laughs) Now they've got another government, but it hasn't yet been formed. They haven't figured out who's in the cabinet. So there's no one to talk to. There's no one to get instructions from. So Sauntney and Ho met but there wasn't really anything that they could talk about in terms of serious uh matters. They talked about Ho's health. Sauntney did say that they the French wanted Ho to remove the radicals from his cabinet. Look, we like you, Ho. Yeah. Cuz you're you're a, you're a moderate kind of guy. Right. But those radicals, uh, those hardliners, those bad cops, yeah. Vic Mackey. <laughs> no, no, we can't have we can't have Vic Mackey in control. Uh. God. You need to get rid of the radicals. Ho's like, oh, sure, get rid of the radicals. Yeah, 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 no. Look, first thing when I get back, I'm going <laughs> to remove all of my own people from my own party. <laughs> yeah, no worries. <laughs> Anything else? Want me to chop off my left nut while I'm at it? What else do you I want? Mean,
0: come on. Jeez. Yeah. yeah.
1: Do you want to take my sister from behind with
0: a strap on? Sure. You're know, like, What else? My wife? Take my wife. I've got two. Take my wife, please. Take either one. Before we go on, I just want to ask, because I I don't want this to get glossed over. So France can vote in a socialist government, because that's what Leon Blum is. The socialists are about to come in, but Ho can't bring in a leftist government. It's okay for France, and maybe I'm reading too much into this, but it's not okay for Vietnam. H- how's it okay well, for the French o- to have o- a- o- Okay, okay to who? To the French. To the French. I, I mean, they're, they're sitting there thinking the worst of ho, or the Americans, I guess, are thinking the worst of ho, because he's, he's leftist. You know, is he going to go communist, or, or is that his goals? Is he talking to Moscow? But the, the French vote in the socialist government, and as far as I can tell, uh, they were okay with that, and as far as I could tell, Truman was okay with that. I, I just find that confusing, You know, just a double standard, unless I'm reading too much into it.
1: Well, yeah. Look, as we'll see, it it's not that simple. Um, mm-hmm. There were again, as I said before, the wheels were in motion um, and and continued to be in motion despite who the government of France was. Okay. So anyway, um, uh later told the American consul O'Sullivan that unless Ho removed the radicals, the French were prepared to engage in what he called a police action to get them out. Right. <laughs> like we just, you know.
0: Twenty-four so hours, roll in,
1: yeah. Get them out, you yeah. know. We're done, you know. Uh, we've got George Bush's uh, mission accomplished banner. It's out the back.
0: <laughs> we got it ready to we're go. We're ready to,
1: yeah, ready to whack that up. In and out, one done, and done and dusted. One and d- yeah, one and done, son.
0: Oh my I god! Don't know how you say that in French? And do feel. But as you can imagine, O'Sullivan reports back to Washington. Uh, he's got a different take on this. He says, action to rid country of Viet and Viet Minh will, I fear, greatly exceed police work and will take much longer than short time saint foresees. So again, here's this an American on the ground looking around going, yeah, yeah, it's not going to be that easy. And if it does blow up, it's going to be hell of a lot more than just cracking some heads and bringing this country, you know, back to where you wanted. I uh, I think even, you know, back then in 1946 or early 47, I can't remember. This Amer- late 46, this American sees the potential for a quagmire and he's probably thinking, "Thank God I don't work for the French."
1: Yeah, thank God America's not involved in this quagmire. <laughs> Woo,
0: Dodged a bullet
1: there. <laughs> I'm surprised by Sontany and all of this. I got to tell you, like he yeah. has spent a lot of time with Ho. Right? Um the fact that he can even think that this is gonna that this is gonna be an easy road to hoe right. <laughs> <laughs> easy road to hoe with ho uh I can't right. even begin to imagine what he's thinking here. I
0: guess he's just French man. what or, can you say? He's just French or that he could just rock up and uh and say to ho hey, hey buddy, hey, long time friend, look, I just need you to get rid of the what I consider to be the radicals in your government. Can you do that for me? Can you change that thanks. Thanks for doing me a solid. Thanks a lot. Yeah. 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 Cheers. 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 There's Bob. Yeah. 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 Come on. Come on. Now,
1: finally, in Paris, a new government is formed with Ho's old friend, the socialist leader Leon Blum, as the leader. Now, this is the same Blum who, a few months earlier, Mm -hmm. had assured Ho, "I will be there at difficult moments. You can count on me." Oh. So Ho's got to be thinking. Fucking, I did it. <laughs> yes. I
0: did it. I lasted. We
1: hung on yes. long yes. enough. Now we've got the right government in France. Right. This is all going to come work. together. Yeah. Finally, finally, that television production deal <laughs> in, out of LA that we've been working on for years. <laughs> One of these deals.
0: Uh. Finally, going to come
1: together. Yeah. We're going to be rich, famous, That's cocaine right. hookers, <laughs> Hong Kong. Little boys. Yeah. Hong Kong. Yeah. yeah. Do it. Depravity so. is ours. Finally.
0: <laughs> the United States of Depravity.
1: 14, 15 years I've been making podcasts. <laughs> Yes, I I got a brief mention in uh, Brandon Newberg's History of History podcasting. I enjoyed that. Uh, fucking uh, uh, it was a, it was actually a good show, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was. It, he did a really good job of of telling the story right. of the evolution of history podcasting as a format. It sounds ridiculous, but he actually did a really good job. Yeah. I thought making it entertaining. Um. So, but uh, yeah. you know that's that's what Ho's thinking. Finally, we're there. <laughs> Finally. Now this, this is, is, of course, capitalist. Leon Blum's. Yeah, Leon Bloom's second Stender's prime minister. He was uh, prime minister in 1936 before World War II, and did a great job keeping France out of World War II and uh, preparing them for the defence of uh, a possible attack from the Nazis. Mm-hmm. So. Got a great oh, yeah. track record, Leon yeah. Bloom. Let's get this guy like back fucking, in there. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, he did such a good job. Give him another shot. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but this time it's Vietnam, so we should be okay. But but you're right. When Bloom, when Bloom comes to power again, and and I wish I had a, one of those clickers that you can click every time you want to count something. Uh, Ho sends another letter to um to Bloom with his ideas on how to reduce tension, how to make this stuff work. I, I can't remember what number uh email this is from Ho, but again he's sending another message to a French president. Look, I got some ideas on how to calm the things down so we can actually get together and start having a dialogue again. That's what Bloom is that's what's waiting for Bloom on his desk when he walks into the Prime Minister's office. Yeah,
1: Ho's just cutting and pasting that bitch by now man. It just man. changes the date. It's an,
0: it, it started in 1919. Yeah, he yeah, just crosses out the date, 1919,
1: 1920, 1921, 1946. Oh, my God. And it's really simple. It's just like, I've got some suggestions. Yeah. Give us our independence. Hip reply. That's all it is. Yeah, thanks very much. Yeah. That's it. Give us independence and freedom. That's yeah. all. You can still make money with us. For.
0: Yeah. 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 We'll work yeah. on it. We'll, we, we still country. need to
1: sell our rice and our right. rubber to someone. Right. We'll sell it to you. Make it's okay. We'll
0: give you a good terms. Make me an offer. Yeah. Oh.
1: Um, now, just a week earlier, Bloom had written in the socialist paper Le Populaire that French policy in Vietnam was bankrupt. He wrote There is one way and one way only to maintain in Indochina the prestige of our civilization, of our political and spiritual influence, and of our legitimate interests. We must reach agreement on the basis of independence. We must keep confidence and preserve friendship. That's nice. Finally, a leader of France (laughs) had used the magic word. Independence.
0: Independence. Yeah.
1: So Ho's got to be feeling good. Unfortunately for him and everybody else, it was too little, too late. Bloom presided over a weak government. In fact, it was only a stopgap government.
0: Mm. Um,
1: It was only meant to serve out the final weeks of the provisional government
0: Ah. until
1: the constitution of the Fourth Republic kicked into effect at the end of the year. So he's in no position right. to quickly do anything, let alone reverse the sort of aggressive policy towards Indochina that had been taking shape over the last four, five, six months that um, Bideau was running things. Um, he had not even been able to have any influence over the negotiations in Paris um, back in Fontainebleau. Right. And even if he'd been able to do something now in Paris, as we're about to see, the momentum in Vietnam was going to take its own course. Yeah. People, the French commanders in Vietnam didn't really give a shit at this stage. What anyone from Paris or the United States thought, they yeah. were going to take affairs into their
0: own hands. National honor. And I just want to mention that, and Ho is oh, cognizant of, of, of the potential for danger here. So even though he's sending letters to Bloom, he is still working with party members just in case there's war. In fact, I think it was by October, the ICP, the Indo- Indochina Communist Party Central Committee, was operating, was meeting in secret. So again, Ho is trying for for peace. He is trying for negotiations, and I think he is sincere in that. But at the same time, he's a realist, and he is doing what he needs to do with his other hand in order to prepare for war if it does come.
1: I think he knows, as everyone yeah. knows, at this stage. It's, it's, but you it's still got to try. It's going to happen. Yeah, yeah. You still got to try. Yeah. Um But it's you know he's been getting nowhere now for a year. Yeah. Um, and the guy that he's put in. Command of building up the entire military operation in secret is Van Tien Dung. Mm-hmm. Now, 30 years later, he's going to become famous for leading the final offensive on Saigon in 1975.
0: Wow. Yeah. So, th- so this is the guy. Yeah. So, um, so the central military committee is set up. They pick their leaders. It's kind of like a general staff. They have party commissars picked for key positions in the army and party committees are set up in various military zones. So they are literally laying the framework for a future army and, a, and an organizational chart in case they have to use it to take on the French. If this does become a country wide conflict.
1: Throughout late 1946, the newly named Vietnamese People's Army expanded to 60,000 troops, as well as the 12,000 on top of that that they already had fighting in Cochin, China. Uh, But on top of that, that's the official army, but then they had local militia and guerrilla units Mm -hmm. that were almost at a million people.
0: Jeez. I'm sorry, but the math... And I don't do maths, but the math doesn't add up. I'm going to have 10, 20, 25, 30,000 French, and yeah, we're all going to be heavily armed, whatever. But you're going against roughly a million people. They've got the support of the, the locals. I mean, again... I, that's why we now use the word Vietnam when we when we mean quagmire because the French have I I do you think they have any idea what they're getting into? Or are they thinking like no we can dig them we are French? I mean, just the arrogance of these Europeans is astounding. And maybe it shouldn't be. Maybe it shouldn't be. Well, yeah, I I think it's very difficult
1: um, to, to to get in the mindset of. The French then, but it's not really. It's kind of the same mindset that America yeah. is in today. I think, or large parts of America, or American leadership. It's this uh, sort of arrogance that well, might is right, and yeah. um, you know what we say is right is right. Um, if we say you're a terrorist, then you're a terrorist. If we say you're a dictator, you're a dictator, mm-hmm. and. Uh, it doesn't really matter what the facts on the ground are. Um, we yeah. we are right and we are great. We are a great nation, you know. Despite what happened during World War Two, the French were and, and remain a very proud people. Um, mm-hmm. They had a long and storied history, a lot of success, obviously Napoleon and all of that kind of stuff. They ruled right. Europe for a little while there. Yeah. Um, so, and, you know, they ruled the fucking popes, as we know, oh, our Vatican right. show, for yeah. our Renaissance show. They ruled them for 100 years. So, like, it's no way a lot of the French can say, oh, okay, we're going to give in to these slanty-eyed, brown-skinned uh, <laughs> barbarians. Right. The the gooks. I've got a whole thing on gooks later. Um, but that's how they thought of them. The, wow. You know, not all French, of course, but... Enough, Enough thought of them yeah. as gooks, you know, they're just uh, barbarians. We're not giving up a significant part of our economy, mm-hmm. of the wealth of our country, and our national pride to a bunch of gooks. Um, it's just not going to happen. Have to make um, us, yeah. Exactly. Well, that they, they, they wasn't even conceivable. But right. they, they don't even know that right. there's a million people. Now, villages throughout the country were told to make preparations for self defense and turn themselves into combat villages. Mm. Even though weapons were still in short supply, one French source uh, at the time calculated that the Army, The Vietnamese People's Army, the VPA, had about 35,000 rifles, mm-hmm. 1,000 automatic weapons, and 55 cannons. This was 70-odd thousand troops. Right. So the only one in every two uh, soldiers actually had a rifle. Wow. Um, the rest had machetes and pointy sticks. And, and a bad and, um, attitude. Shurikens, right. which they were getting in on ships from China or Japan. Just <laughs> Nunchucks and shurikens. Ninja star. Now, they started building weapons. They built a weapons manufacturing plant um, up in the north in Viet Bak, their old uh, headquarters Mm. north of Hanoi, Mm -hmm. Um, because they realised, that well, if we can't get them in via ports anymore, we need to start making our own. Now, I remember when I was recently um, rereading a biography on Che Guevara, uh, how he uh, and Fidel, but Che was the leader of it, set up weapons manufacturing plants early on, in the revolution, when they were up in the mountains of Cuba, wow. they started making their own bullets and their own weapons.
0: And I was like, "How the fuck do you do that?" <laughs> I couldn't do like, that. <laughs> I
1: could And this is this is pre-internet. <laughs> right. How do you how you, do you look it up on YouTube? Yeah, build a build a gun factory <laughs> or a mine factory. Right. right. Like, I I assume that they were like by uh, chase time. They were getting smuggled, uh, or they were getting like uh, guides out of China or Russia. Uh, uh, sorry, how to do that? And this is how you build a gun factory. Wow! Like fuck, how do you do that we're in the middle of a jungle where you don't even have roads right. or electricity? And you go, oh, "We're going to build a gun factory." I'm like,
0: "What the well, fuck? That, how do you do that?" That part I do like, know. You,
1: I'm flat out. Yeah. I'm flat out hanging a picture on a wall, <laughs> Ray, and having it not fall down. <laughs>
0: It's a major accomplishment. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you go. Man, and at a rare me. and a rare
1: and a rare accomplishment for me either. <laughs>
0: go, the assumption, Dr. if Rain. I hang
1: anything on a wall, is it is going to fall down in the next it's couple just, of hours. It's That's just a matter of when. in my house. Yeah, that's just
0: basically no, no, to go near that. It's going to fall. No, as far as electricity, I think that would be rather easy to figure out. You get the professor from Gilligan's Island. He'll go in there, get a couple of coconuts, and pretty soon you've got an electric plant. I'm sure. I'm sure he could work that out. But but I know that I couldn't. <laughs> um. So uh,
1: yeah, they're building a weapons manufacturing plant. Now, Jarp had told Ho that he thinks they could only hold Hanoi for a month Ooh, if yeah. they were attacked by the French. So he starts uh, ordering preparations for a new base to be built at Tantrau, which is, uh, again, a small valley sort of north of Hanoi, about 200 kilometers northwest of Hanoi. It's also where Ho and the Communist Party had their headquarters before the right. forty uh, the the revolution, or the announcement of independence up in forty five or whenever it was. They dusted it off. Um, yeah, dusting it off, getting back. But I wanna I want to talk a little bit about uh, the weaponization of these villages. Mm-hmm. Um, now, Zapp was running an education campaign in villages across the country. Trying to teach them how to turn their villages into combat villages, Uh, you know, how to sharpen sticks and machetes Mm -hmm. and all of that kind of stuff. But uh, it didn't all go smoothly. Now, again, as I've pointed out in the last couple of episodes, when you're running a revolution like this, not everybody is going to be on board. And even in these villages, there were, of course, wealthy villagers, wealthy landowners. It's the same as you know, you would find anywhere where there's uh, a people's revolution. There are going to be people who are wealthy, the upper middle class or the upper class, mm-hmm. the elite in that village. They, they have a lot of land. They have a lot of money. Everyone else is poor, but you're always going to have your local chieftains, right, that right. have usually through intimidation or violence have, have uh, put themselves in positions of power. Every small town has these guys, right? And that's always been the case. They're this, right. yeah. They're your local psychopaths, your local sociopaths. Um, plug for my book, The Psychopath Economy. Uh, if you haven't already, uh, well, by the time this podcast comes out, it's probably too late. But anyway, don't worry about it. Yeah, you've always, yeah, you've always got these psychopaths. So not all of these people in the villages were on board with a revolution that was going to overthrow the existing order, some of them said no, some of them fought back.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: as a result, got assassinated by Zapp He was also running, Yeah, they, you can call it a terrorist campaign, but you know, it's also just removing the intransigence. The people right. that aren't getting on board with the revolution to overthrow the French yeah. were removed. But like the nationalists. He was very careful. Yeah, like the nationalists or just the wealthy landowners who were like, Mm -hmm. no, fuck it, I got it good. It's good. No, no, I say no to the People's Revolution. I'm doing okay. Fuck all (laughs) you Status quo, baby. Exactly. Yeah. And as I think we mentioned in an earlier episode, like there was this religious cult that were also trying to fight the communists and they took care of him. So they're they're getting rid of these guys. But Zap was very careful about it because he knew it was a double-edged sword. There's only so many people you can kill. before the people go, well, fuck you guys, you're just as bad as the French, right? Yeah. Um, They go to hell with it. If we're going to get killed regardless, we might as well band together and take you on. I mean, basically, the view that the communists had towards the French, the people could have it against the communists if you are taking out too many people. But Mm -hmm. I want to acknowledge that assassinations were definitely part of what the Viet Viet Minh were conducting against Vietnamese people right during this and you know the remi- the remainder of the the war but again you have to understand that um, okay they were they were serious they weren't fucking around right. we're going to fight a revolution against the french to get independence if you're not on board with that yeah. sorry we're going to you you have yeah. to be removed I and mean, and they they couldn't just tie them up and put them in jail they didn't have jails they didn't have the wherewithal to manage that and, and maintain that and feed them. and So, so you, yeah, people yeah. were killed if you don't get on board. And this is what I often say about Stalin mm-hmm. um, during the, the 30s uh, and his purge and all that kind of stuff. I'm not justifying this. I'm not saying right. killing is okay, but I'm going to say you've got to understand the mindset of a revolutionary. We are fighting a war to the death for the independence of our people. Exactly. If you're not on board, if you're going to put up a roadblock, we are going to kill you. Get yeah. out of the fucking – or in Stalin's case, throw you in a – he did throw people, obviously, in gulags right. and, you know, assassinated, murdered, executed, whatever you want to call it, potentially a million, two million people as well. Yeah. It's, um, you know, my way or the highway, basically, yeah. is what these people are trying to do. I mean, we can sit here in our undies in our uh, <laughs> air-conditioned white man luxury Right. And say, well, that's that's not right. Uh, they're, they're they're assassinating people. Yeah, okay, but these people are fighting a war to the death. Yeah, um, For it's like if yeah. you're you're Rick Grimes. These people are Rick Grimes in Walking Dead, man, trying to defend themselves against the zombie hordes. You get in the way of defending your people. Him defending his family against mm-hmm. the zombie hordes. Rick's gonna Rick's gonna take you out. Yeah. yeah, and and Rick Rick was a cop. Right. Before that, it was a sheriff or a cop or something. I don't remember. Something like I that. Yeah. The first season. Got bored with it after the first season. Mm. But my kids keep me abreast of everything that happens. Yeah. I'm like, really? I don't. I'm like, if I wanted to watch the fucking show, I'd watch the show. Don't. <laughs> don't tell me. I don't me want to that. listen to you talk about it for an hour. <laughs> I might as well watch the fucking show. Might as well show. listen to
0: the podcast. Go, no, no. I'm just <laughs> going
1: to tell you this bit. It's great. I'm just going to tell you this bit. It's great. Oh, <laughs> it's
0: really great. I don't care. Yeah. No, but, but now. Yeah, go ahead.
1: Oh, I was just saying, yeah. Look, they did use it. It was used selectively, but yes, they they had people executed who got in their way. Right.
0: Yeah. Because because if they lose, the French are going to come in, and people are going to die, like had died before. So there's still going to be deaths, but they're they're trying to achieve something. And so both sides. It's the trolley. What? Sorry. Go. It, no, sorry, keep going. I thought you were finished. Okay. It, it's, uh, yeah, so both sides are uh, gearing up for war because they know that this has come and tension is rising. So like we said a minute ago, the Viet forces are building up. They've got, um, what, like 10,000 men, uh, 10,000 combat militia inside the city um, ready to go. They're obviously hiding out within the city. They've got homemade weapons. But the French are gearing up too. They've got thousands of uh, troops in the citadel in Hanoi. They've got tr- troops in the hospital. They've got troops in the, gov- the former government governor's palace the rail station the bank of indochina and along the bridge so both sides know this is coming i think ho might be the only one still sending emails talking about let's reduce tensions and and talk to each other but both sides are pretty much gearing up and this is exactly what d'angelo wants and like you said earlier he is not listening to paris
1: yeah um, I just wanted to finish off with the assassinations oh. by saying yeah. it's, it's the revolutionaries' version of the trolley problem,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right? The, the, the train is hurtling down the tracks. There's a lever. If I, if I send it to the left, uh, one person dies. Right. If I send it to the right, um, everybody on the train dies, yeah. 1,000 people. Um, that's, that's basically, yeah. I think, how they justify to themselves executing people it's the trolley problem right but you you know if you watch ken burns's documentary or you you read a lot of particularly american books on the vietnam war they go oh the the viet Minh were brutal killed their own people Mm. um they make it they they make it sound like they're they're brutal you know terrorists of their own people and enjoying it and you know that's one perspective maybe that's true I'm not defending them because I wasn't there. Right. I don't. I didn't see it happen. I don't know what the circumstances were. I'm just saying that the other perspective is it's the trolley problem. Yeah. Kill one to save a thousand. Right. Yeah. Sometimes that's revolutionary justice. Revolutionary logic. Right? Yeah.
0: And just imagine if, if it's they,
1: cowboy. Cowboy like, justice.
0: Cowboy. <laughs> cowboy diplomacy or cowboy justice. Yeah, but if they have this horrible fight with the French and the French win, can you imagine the reprisals the French are going to carry out? So yeah, people are going to die either way. This is just a fucked up situation.
1: Speaking of cowboy justice, um, Victor Santoki, my mate in LA, big fan of our shows, Mm -hmm. big fan of this show, looked after me when I was in LA, took a day out of his life, very, very generous. Sent me a message the other day. His brother uh, has just bought a house in Deadwood that's three houses up the road from where Sheriff Bullock oh lived and died in Deadwood. Wow. Um, that's cool. So, next time I come over, man, we're going to do a road, road trip, trip to Victor's <laughs> brother's house. We're just going to rock up and go, hey, listen. Hey, big fan. Your, your brother. Yeah. Your brother's a big fan of our show. Right. So, <laughs> we're staying at your house. Um, so, that's it for episode 110 uh a million a million people militia guerrilla units wow. plus 70,000 people in the VPA getting ready to take on the French yeah in our next episode uh coming up next week thank you everyone thank you papa bear thank you and i